Hello. Welcome to another episode of MusicCast. My name is CJ Cox, and this podcast is a production of the Foundation for New American Musicals. Our mission is to help educate, mentor, and showcase the next generations of creators of musicals on stage, screen, TV, and across all social media. So, thanks for joining us. On this episode, we're tucked into a fairly echoey corner of the green room at Rockwell Table and Stage for Musical, our bi-monthly showcase where composers get to present songs from their new musicals. We're going to talk to L.A. native Jonah Platt about the show he's working on called The Giver. It's based on the popular novel by Lois Lowry. We'll talk to him about growing up doing musical theater and what it was like to make the transition to a run on Broadway. But first, we're going to meet the writing team of Jeff Ellie and Matt Severis. They're presenting songs from an autobiographical show entitled Aces. We'll also talk about how they started collaborating, their work on a web series and for Nickelodeon, and how they wrote a song about whether or not a driverless car hits somebody. So let's meet Jeff and Matt. Would you guys like to uh, introduce yourself? We have Jeff and Matt with us. Yeah. Hey, yeah, we're uh, Jeff Ellie and Matt Savaris, and we're the writers of the musical Aces. Great. Um, and you guys have both worked with uh, Nickelodeon. Is that how you guys met? That is not how we met. We actually met in college. We were in the same theater group, uh, first-year players at the University of Virginia. And it turns out I had been brooding in the piano practice room, writing some songs, uh, actually, unfortunately, about the passing of my grandmother, oh. and uh, ended up going to Jeff to kind of help me out to vocalize it with some words because I'm more of a music guy myself. Yeah, and at the time I had never written any lyrics, <laughs> uh, but Matt's a really a sweet guy, and also, as he said, it was about the passing of the grandmother, yeah. so you kind of have to say, sure, I'll go. <laughs> it's, it's not exactly one of those things you can just say, like, eh, I'm going to go to the yeah. dining hall, yeah. So that was my way of roping him into seven years of now working together. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm wondering how many of our partnerships sort of formed over brooding in the practice halls. <laughs> at, uh, it's yeah. true. Um, did you both study uh, music, musical theater? What uh, What were you studying at the time? I, I was studying media studies and music as well, music composition. Yeah, and I was actually just doing English and American studies, mm-hmm. uh, but we did a lot of drama department stuff there. Yeah. And uh, it was actually, for me, I was not really involved in the arts growing up. And... Uh, you know, I lived out just outside of New York City, but if we went into New York, it was to see the Yankees game and not to go to Broadway. Um, but it wasn't okay. until college that I then really found theater. So it was fortunate in some ways that University of Virginia uh, has a wonderful drama program, but maybe isn't really known for its drama program. Uh, so it was an opportunity to find my footing there uh, and make some work uh, a little non-traditionally, actually, outside of the system. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then what, uh, what brought you to Los Angeles and how did you kind of, now did you come here as a team? Did you both uh, come here together? We actually, Jeff is a year older than me, so he graduated uh, 2011 and headed up to Brooklyn and I very soon joined him the year after. Uh, we were living together in Brooklyn, both working at Nickelodeon on digital and social content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within the past two years, we've both moved over here to be writing songs full time. Yeah. Awesome. And we, when we were at Nick, we were fortunate that at Nickelodeon, we were fortunate that a pilot that we had written uh, got picked up to be produced as a digital short, uh, and then that sort of moved us more in the direction of being able to create content and eventually find our way to LA. Now, were you doing? Um, so, were you doing musicals before, or or at what point did you decide? Okay, let's let's write a musical. 
Um, well, so after that musical we'll have to rewind about, seven years. Yeah, so after that musical about Matt's grandmother, we never wrote another drama again. No, only comedy no. musicals from there on out. No more um, and we was, a, was that a conscious choice? Did you just decide? I uh, think that it just was, happened. Yeah. 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 Um, the first thing we did together after that was uh, what was considered to be the first interactive online musical. So we wrote ten minutes of a new musical. It was got a hellish a, process. Yeah, it was terrible but fantastic. Uh, we got a cast of 30 students together uh, and on Saturday we would teach them that 10 minutes, uh, record them, vocal record them, film them, put it up on YouTube the next Monday and then ask the viewing audience what do you want to happen next uh, and then we did 10 more minutes every single week uh, based wow, on that that's feedback quite a, that's quite a process um, and what eventually happened? Uh, how how long how long did the process go? Uh, how many um, how many segments did you do? Yes, we ended up doing ten episodes, so a ten week series, and then that led us to do a bunch uh, more sort of internet musicals. Like we did these mini musicals that were all yes. pop culturally informed, like Pokemon the musical, or Where's <laughs> Waldo, or Thomas Jefferson the musical. You know, the <laughs> hot the pop culture yeah. topic of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> okay, and can this uh, can this canon of work be found online? Is there it can. It can. Uh, we now are in that state where we, we were very lucky at the time that it got a ton of views, like over millions of views between those videos. Like but now we're sort of mortified of the work. Uh, we feel like we've grown out of <laughs> we it. We wanted to be buried on the internet. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, you could probably find it on our website, lensav.com. Yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, so it's not something that. Uh, it's something that you feel you've moved past, but it's not something that you were so embarrassed about that you <laughs> yes. erased it forever. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. It's not off the internet yet. Yeah, so right. we knew we wanted to keep writing musicals, and we were lucky to have some opportunities to write one-off songs for Nickelodeon and a couple other... Uh, you worked at Maker Studios, uh, which is a small digital production house here, uh, where we were able to do... Uh, funny songs for branded content or just for narrative YouTube content. Uh, but this opportunity was sort of the kick in the butt we needed, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this opportunity specific to the Music foundation Cal. and yes. Musical. Yeah. Um, and although, uh, let's, let's jump back yeah. a, a second. You were talking about doing funny songs for sort of branded content. Now, do, would people... Well, how did that come about? Was it somebody coming to you with a subject or... Uh, a sponsor or something to request? Yeah, mostly they had uh, the sponsorship. They knew, like, for example, one of them was uh, AT&T was doing a campaign to stop texting and driving. So they wanted a funny song using YouTubers uh, to, you know, playfully, but also drive home this message of don't text and drive. Uh, so we got to write a rap uh, that we then had these popular mom bloggers uh, do the rap. <laughs> right. um, and they, they crushed it. They were they great. Yeah. They, those moms rapped. Fantastic. Okay. Wow. Um, what would you say then is your, what was your most bizarre subject matter that you were asked to write about? I guess, I feel like random the wrapping paper monster. Yeah. Do you want to explain I was also going to say our most recent one about self-driving cars. Oh, also self-driving cars. We've written a, a whole of gamut stuff. of weird topics, yes. But, uh, so okay, self-driving was... cars, that seems like that could be a title for an entire musical. <laughs> yeah. Right it was about the, it was for this company that uh, is looking to like pose controversial questions online. And one of them is about how do self-driving cars uh, make a decision in a, 
uh, accident moment? Like, do they sacrifice their own rider or the you know obstruction if it's a person <laughs> in the street? So we wrote a song um, about that. So we wrote a jingle for them. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> where do you start, uh, uh, and what is that process like? Where you the 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 funny song, I'm assuming, about uh, yeah. a self-driving car deciding whether to run over somebody. Uh, that's definitely something that we le- we've really tried to perfect, which is like leading with the heart on it, and never making fun of or being hurtful to anyone who's had any sort of experience related to that. Really keeping it in a playful space where it's relatable, um, but making sure that we're always sort of checking ourselves of like, whoa, would that like really? Yeah. We want to shock and surprise and make people laugh in the way that, you know, you pull out a rug and get a laugh. But uh, I think we've worked hard. And in part, our work at Nickelodeon helped that because we had to be sensitive to a family audience. And yes. so that helped us, I think. And we typically start with lyrics on that. When yes. it's an offbeat subject, um, it helps Jeff start some lyrics and then I'll do the music versus, yeah. you know, sometimes more emotional emotionally driven songs will start with the music and yeah. move on to lyrics. Okay. Now, is your process, do you write... Um, Music and lyrics uh, together, both of you, or do does one of you consider yourself, um, Matt? What do you consider your? I'm more part? of the composer of the two of us. Jeff is more of the book writer and lyricist, but we concept everything out together first, mm-hmm. uh, and often we'll structure an entire song before one of us takes that first step to do the first task. Okay, great. So now you are presenting at uh, at Musical. Um, you are presenting. Um, Aces. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about. Uh, tell tell us about the show. Yeah, uh, Matt it was really inspired by Matt's growing up. So yeah, um, the show is about a young boy uh, who, in the summer of 1999, his family moves across town. So it's a new neighborhood, new kids, uh, new school, and uh, you know he's all by himself. Uh, his mom has forgotten to sign him up for any summer camps or activities for the summer. Uh, and he's at a loss for what to do. And, and instead of playing Sim City, you know, every day he's looking outside and seeing this really cool group of kids who he later finds out are called the Aces. Uh, and he sort of, over the course of that first week of summer, musters up the courage to go out and try to join this crew of kids and hang out with them. Uh, and what really ends up happening is there's sort of two levels. There's uh, uh, this ongoing mystery that they're all pursuing in the woods. Uh, it's sort of a thriller element to it. Um, so he helps them out with that, but over the course of the summer, he develops his first crush and starts to realize that he's gay. Uh, and so that's sort of the undercurrent of it. Um, it's in the summer of 1999 when there are no reference points or any means of understanding what he's feeling. He's still having these strong feelings for the first time. Okay. And how did you decide to write something so autobiographical? Was that, was that challenging or did that feel like just a natural progression? I mean, I think in terms of Jeff and I, the subjects that we've, we've written about, we, in terms of what we've always thought of doing a full musical, we want to make sure that it's grounded in something we're really passionate about and that comes from a personal place. So we had been talking back and forth about a lot of different subject material, but I think we wanted to, we both came to the decision that we wanted to tackle um, the concept of, of what it means to, at such an early age, to have these feelings. Um, and realize that you're gay at a time when you don't have any understanding of what that means. So how old is the character? Uh, the character's in eighth grade, going into eighth grade. Okay. 14 yeah. at the time. 14, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, subject-wise, we, it, it sort of just happened organically, I think. Matt sort of started sharing his experience of that, and it just honestly felt right. Great. Now, is the, the musical complete? Uh, where are you at in the process? 
Uh, we are four songs in. Yep. And tonight we'll be presenting four, four songs. songs. Yes. Um, we were really, this is what I was mentioning about feeling like this gave us the boost that we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Ryback, who's hosting tonight and is a friend of ours and has been very much a mentor uh, and is a wonderful writer and performer himself, uh, had reached out, connected us with Linda, uh, let us know that there was maybe an open uh, slot here to perform. And we had been sitting on that outline and that idea of the musical for too long at that point. Uh, And it's so easy to find excuses to work on everything else other than the full-length musical. Um, But this was in December. He reached out to us, and we said, we got to do it. So uh, over the last month and a half, we wrote the four songs, got a really wonderful, generous cast together. uh, And all the music is in 90s style. So it's set in 99, and it's inspired by Blink-182 and Atlanta. Morrison and Blues Traveler and everyone. Yeah. Is that what you guys were listening to at that age? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. We're going to play a selection called cool. Anchors Away. Uh, Aces Away. Oh, Aces Away. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, tell me about the song. Introduce it for us. Sure. So uh, this is the moment where Evan uh, is looking out over his window and sees the Aces, the group of kids next door, playing on a huge wooden ship in the yard next door, uh, and he's admiring. A uh, bit judgmentally, uh, but also uh, falling into the charms of what looks like a really amazing activity. I know the boat is empty and made of rotting wood. It's not some chartered vessel, but damn, it looks so good. Its anchor sits on concrete, its sails are speckled gray. The deck could use a swabbing, but my God, what I would pay if one day Aces away, boys Aces away, take me away Aces away, boys Aces away are empty, their teeth are rotted through, they sure aren't charter school kids, but damn they look so cool, their uniforms are tattered, their banners bland and gray, but if they knew what I could do to save them from decay, then I'd say, Aces away, Scratches up. I'm on my way. I'll be there once my courage catches up. I'll ride this wave. They look so brave. So I'll be brave. We never be so. 
And all right, guys, thank you so much for talking thank to you, us. Steve. Thank and, you. Yeah. Um, good luck with the, uh, the rest of the musical. Thank awesome. you. This right. is wonderful. Thanks, Thanks for having If you'd like to hear more about Jeff and Matt, you can go to their website, elliansav.com. That's spelled L-E-Ampersand-S-A-V.com. You can hear more of their songs. You can watch videos that they've written and directed, and there's some really fun stuff there. So next up is Jonah Platt. Jonah is a very multi-talented individual. He's an actor, musician, writer, and producer. He also comes from a show business family here in Los Angeles, and he's been doing musical theater since he was a child. He recently completed a Broadway run in Wicked. He appeared at Musical to present new music from his show, The Giver, based on the acclaimed novel. So let's hear from Jonah. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. We're going to get into what you're performing tonight, um, but also... Um, how did you get involved in musical theater? Wow. Uh, I first got involved in musical theater uh, from a very young age. I was pretty much raised on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most kids are listening to Raffi in the car. We were listening to Miss Saigon. Uh, so all, all my early childhood memories are of musical theater, of seeing shows. My uh-huh. parents took us to everything. Uh, we had every soundtrack. We had every movie on VHS. Um, and I started doing it in an after-school program when I was eight. So about between 8 and 18, I did, you know, 30 musicals. So it's always been a big, big part of my life. Okay, but at what point, I mean, there are a lot of kids that are exposed sure. to musicals, and there are a lot of kids that do musicals while they're, you know, in, of course. in you know, children's theater or whatever. But at what point did you think, okay, I got a shot at this? That didn't really come until summer of 2014 uh, when I got the opportunity to play Woof in Hair at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, I went in and auditioned for the ensemble, and Uh I came out as a lead uh, and was the only non-quote-unquote celebrity to be cast as a lead, as the Hollywood Bowl is usually all stunt casting. Uh, It was... was, I saw that production. It was a a pretty... Uh, it was a pretty big cast, so... Yeah, it was a yeah. big cast, and uh, I had done a little bit of theater in L.A. since then. It wasn't like it was my first thing, but it was the first time I really got to perform you know, in front of 18,000 people with all these other successful actors and performers, great directors, like the whole shebang, and, and felt, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. I could do this, and I, you know, I got great reviews that singled me out and had a blast and met my wife, and so I was... Pretty special two weeks. That's pretty great. I have to say that I've seen I've seen other productions of Hair, and one of the things that I was I was assuming about the Hollywood Bowl production is it's such a big venue and it's not necessarily ideal for sort of you know sometimes sometimes getting the critical mass and getting the energy up to sort of because that's a very infectious show where. Uh, the audience really needs to get on board with that. Um, were there things that uh, that you did as a cast to sort of be able to to generate that? Because I thought I thought that show that production was was very successful. Thank you. In doing that. Um, there were a lot of things that, in terms of the direction, that I think really helped. I mean, we used uh, what's called the pastoral. That's sort of that ramp that comes out into the pool. Uh-huh. We were all over that, so we were right in the audience. Um, 
we, I mean, with Harry, you know, we're on stage the whole time. Right. So everybody's spread out all over and just by staying engaged and riffing and being a part of the action continuously that the energy really never gets a chance to drop. I mean, it starts big with Aquarius at the top and then just never, yeah. it never stops. It's uh-huh. like, there's no lulls really in that show. Even when it's like a, it's a, a shorter scene between the parents and uh, Claude, the ensemble shows up, you know, 10 seconds later to boost it up again. And, uh, and they also did, you know, 40 musical numbers, 40 dance numbers in that show. They made it a much dance, much more dance heavy production than usual to yeah. really fill that space and make it really visual and, and keep the energy up. Uh, so from there, then, uh, from then what there, was next for you? Um, I'm not quite sure what was directly Well, next. I guess not next, but uh, then sort of you decided, all right, you're going you're gonna to go for it. That sort of gave it. me a lot of confidence. You know, I had done, I had, right before that, I had done a great production of Floyd Collins at La Mirada that went on to win the Ovation Award for Best Musical mm-hmm. in L.A., which was awesome. Uh, and then I did a couple of shows here at the Rockwell around that time just to sort of... You know, I love performing here. It's a, there's no space like it in L.A. It is a, it is a pretty great space. Oh, um, yeah. You get to uh, be in everybody's face. You get to do it. There's a lot of sort of improv, which is a strong background point of mine. Um, so I love getting to perform here. And then... In fact, uh, speaking of, of being in everybody's face, I yes, the last time I saw you quite recently here at uh, Rockwell, you were just in your underwear. Ah, you saw me in the skivvies. <laughs> I saw you with the skivvies. That was a blast. That was really fun. It was, uh, it was a really fun time. Those guys are great. It mm-hmm. was like the most naked I had been since hair. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I actually just wrapped up two weeks ago doing a show here called The Last Breakfast Club, uh, right. which was a, a musical parody sequel uh-huh. to The Breakfast Club. Yeah. But uh, sort of to answer your question, the, the big jump for me was I, I got the opportunity to play Fierro in Wicked on Broadway mm-hmm. in uh, summer of... 2015 to summer 2016, um, which, you know, that was a total game changer for me and really mm-hmm. helped sort of put me on the map a little bit and uh, was, and was how, a fantastic experience. Uh, how was that? Your first, uh, tell me just a little bit about what that was like going, okay, your first night, your, your opening on Broadway. First night, I was, I mean, I never get nervous anymore. I mean, I've performed so many times on so many stages and so many different kinds of things. You know, this is what we do every day. So you don't really get nervous. I was really nervous before I went out for that first show. But then as soon as I walked out, I was pretty good. Um, but it, it was, it's like a blackout. I mean, because you're so focused. All you want to do is not screw up. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't originate the role, obviously. So I'm, I was being put in. So you got all these ensemble and crew and orchestra. Everybody, they're doing it every night. So right. for them, this is like, you know clockwork uh-huh. you just don't want to be the one who messes it up <laughs> so like all i focused on was like the technical stuff i was like nail the choreography enter at the right time exit at the right time get the costume change and the, and the rest of it was a blur so it really felt like a total blur yeah. uh and then you immediately get a chance you know you're doing eight shows a week so by the end of the first week i'd already done as many shows you know as i'd done of some entire runs of shows before absolutely i mean <laughs> uh, uh how many how many how many times did you perform here at the Hollywood three. Bowl? Yeah, there was three. So you rehearse, you perform three times, you're done. You're done. So you now, know, and I did Floyd Collins. We did about 20, 22 performances mm-hmm. over like three weeks. Here, actually, the the last Breakfast Club was like eleven weeks. So that was actually the longest thing I've done that wasn't Wicked. It was about like forty something performances. Yeah. And then Wicked, I did three hundred and forty eight. Now, what is your 
Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Just the difference between yeah, gearing up for a show and you do, let's say, let's say you do ten performances or something, um, and then what did you do to sort of keep your performance fresh, to sort of stay focused, or what was that experience like, sort of doing it eight times a week? Um, it's 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 always still enjoyable. Uh, I mean, when you get let's say maybe six months in on a random Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as enjoyable. Um, it, it just takes a little bit more of a got to get there and got to do it, got to go to work feel. Okay. Uh, but then you get a break after six months, which really helps uh-huh. refresh and recharge. Um, you have to take care of yourself. You got to treat yourself, you know, like you're an in-season athlete. You know, you got to get your sleep. You got to get your exercise. You got to be in shape. You How gotta, do you uh, and what do you do to, to keep your voice in shape? Uh, well, I mean, everyone has their own regimen. Uh, mine changes as my voice continues to develop and as my body ages. Um, uh, right now, my regimen involves, you know, Mucinex before a show, involves a lot of tea and thermos I carry around. I have like these pastilles that I love that everybody uses, these Gerther's pastilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I warm up in a certain way on the way to the show. Uh, and then I try to speak a certain way before and after the show so that I'm, my voice is in a good place. Uh, and then you got to get sleep. And you can't be going out to loud restaurants and bars and clubs where you're shouting over Were music. You? That's the killer. That's oh, the worst one. Okay. So does that, I imagine that impacts your social life, that you can't go bit. out to clubs, you can't go out to noisy you restaurants? Can't I mean, you don't ever want to miss out on something. Right. And it's, you know, it's important to bond and be social and have your life outside the show. They want that for you. They don't want you coming in feeling bored and, right. and, and you know, the same. Um, but you just have to be careful and take care of yourself. I'm definitely a close talker when I'm in a bar and I have a show going on because I got to speak at a normal volume. Right. Uh, and you just you don't you don't stay out too long except if it's a special occasion. Now, with that in mind, tell me a little bit about uh, how did you train for this? For Wicked? Uh, no, how did you train for, for my I mean, life in musical theater? Exactly. I mean, a lot of it really was those those ten years of doing thirty musicals. That's where I built all my confidence. I mean, just from at such an early age, I was being told, "You're great. I love you. You're fantastic," and gave me the opportunity to play leading men in every great musical mm-hmm. and getting great feedback and learning. I mean, that's did you, so much of it came from that. Uh, did you study? Did you take a lot of uh, vocal training? Or uh, just I, a lot of that, was it uh, just a function of being a kid and being in, in show after show and just kind of growing up? I think a lot of it was up? just by, through experience of doing so many shows and really never stopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sang, I didn't perform a lot in college, but I sang all through college, so I was always singing and adding new things to my singing, voice. Singing, what, what sort of, what sort of uh, things, if well, you didn't so I did a, a, I was the musical director of an acapella group called Off the Beat that specializes in sort of contemporary rock uh, stuff that other groups aren't really doing. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of different things vocally, okay. um, which was good, just sort of always changing it up and getting to do different styles, you know, so you have as many places you can go to vocally as possible. That's always helpful. That's Especially it. nowadays, it's, you know, there's less and less like pure, legit Broadway stuff out there. It's all this... Some more contemporary rock, folk, pop, bluesy, all these different things. Exactly. I think that if you, if you were to take sort of a 
you know, let's say a musical theater leading man from, you know, suddenly from Broadway of the 40s, oh. and then drop him into... He'd have nothing to be in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it, I don't would, know where you'd put him. Yeah, he would probably be kind of mystified. I mean, they're doing, they're doing My Fair Lady in Lincoln Center, so he could, he could come into My Fair Lady. I guess, but it's funny, because even, even some of the big revivals like that, that uh, sometimes I see them and I think, yeah, there's still, you still hear a little bit less sort of classical musical theater voices and every now and then you're like okay that's that's a, a little more poppy or whatever yeah absolutely mm-hmm. uh, and I, I just and i think maybe it's that there's a little more nuance now mm-hmm. expected in performances that you're able to do if you're not as sort of you know that over the top classic right I, sound. do you think that it's more difficult to just be Sort of a specific type in uh, musical theater that uh, vocally are. you do sort of one thing and one thing well. Um, but do you find that musical theater performers need to sort of vary their range and their abilities? There, it's, there's a plus and a minus to both sides of it. I mean, if you're the you know you're the X guy and there's shows that always have a part for the X guy and you're great at it, that's going to be a great opportunity for you and you're going to be able to get those. You know, it also limits what you're able to go out for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel confident going out for shows of any style, of any voice range, whether it's, you know, I can go for the rock and roll parts, I can sing with grit, I can belt, I can sing legit. Um, so I, I certainly have more opportunities available, um, though I don't know that I would consider myself, you know, like the expert in mm-hmm. one certain type of sound that someone else may be. Now, uh, between New York and L.A., um, now, do you see yourself going back? I mean, do you go back and forth? I go um, back and forth a lot. Um, the the show that I'm presenting tonight, the mm-hmm. the Giver that I'm writing with my partner Andrew Resnick, he lives in New York, mm-hmm. so I'm actually going to New York next week to work with him for a couple of weeks. Uh, whenever there's a gig in New York, I go to the gig. Okay, great. Now, tell me a little bit about this show that you're. That- so we are adapting Lois Lowry's international best-selling book, The Giver. Um, it uh, was written in the early '90s. It's uh, a, a fantastic story. It's read in schools all over the country still today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read it when I was in school. Um, what was your inspiration for taking that particular work and adapting well, it? Well, really, was my, I believe it was, I mean, we've had this sort of kicking around for a couple of years now mm-hmm. before we even had the rights to do it. You had presented uh, selections from it at a previous musical, right? At least three other times yeah. we've done. So this, and this will be the first time we do a whole big batch of songs. We're doing four songs. Mm-hmm. One of them we finished yesterday when we finished on Saturday. Um, so <laughs> okay. It'll be interesting. So these are, these are fresh out of the oven. These are, couldn't be fresher. That's you know, great. Hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've been working on it for a while. Um, and uh, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I guess um, what... Oh, what with inspiration? Yeah. Well, I, I, I believe it was my, uh, co-co- uh, my co-composer's idea. I feel mm-hmm. like he came with it and was like, we should do the gig. Because he and I were looking for something to do. We wanted to write a show together. Uh, we've collaborated since we were in middle school. We played music together in middle school. We were in a band together in high school that played all over L.A., and then we did improvised musicals together in college. Uh, And then we decided, let's write a real musical, and he thought, what about The Giver? And then I sort of keyed into something within that story that I thought, oh, that's what makes this a very interesting musical, which is that, um, without giving too much away, we'll be able to use um, the device of people singing in a show Mm -hmm. as part of the narrative 
and not just the suspension of disbelief when you go to the theater to see a musical of people sing because it's a musical. Right. So in our show, when people only sing for a reason, mm-hmm. and there are people who don't sing because they don't have a reason that they'd be able to. Now, you say that you started working on this before you had the rights. Yes. Uh, that can be a delicate, uh, yeah. delicate proposal. Um, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that. Then, then what was your process? At what point did you... Uh, at what point, I assume that you've acquired the rights since then? Okay. Um, it, it basically, I mean, what really what it took was that the movie had to come out first mm-hmm. before the author would entertain uh, selling any further rights. Mm-hmm. So we had had the idea while the movie was in development, and she didn't even want to hear really a discussion about it. Um, so, but we loved the idea, so we, we wrote just maybe three or four songs. We didn't mm-hmm. write a script. Um, it was just... Because like we felt excited by it, we knew a couple of songs that would definitely be in the show, no matter mm-hmm. what the script would be. Like we would have these moments, uh, so we started with those, and then luckily, uh, a year and a half, two years ago, we were able to get the actual theatrical rights, and we jumped in, you know, full speed ahead. Actually, it took us a little bit because we had to find a, our third collaborator, who we finally found. His name's Martin Zimmerman, mm-hmm. who is our book writer. He currently writes for the show Ozark on Netflix. Which is uh, a big hit currently. Yeah, it's a great hit. And yeah. uh, he wrote on Narcos, and he's a, uh-huh. a fantastic playwright. And how did you get him on board? How do you uh, go out and find a book our, writer? Our producer helped us find okay. him. Okay. Uh, and helped, you know, with sending. We were looking at everybody and, and searching for people and reading plays, and, and we, liked, we liked Martin's style, um, and uh, he's been a fantastic addition. And now we are ramping up to finish the final whole draft of the show by the end of the month. Okay, and then uh, what is going to be your process? The what? goal will be to finish everything by the end of the month and then do a reading in Los Angeles, quiet, small reading, just sort of for us to hear what we've got okay. uh, sometime in September. All right, that and sounds... take it from there. We'll see what kind of shape it's in. That sounds great. Um, hopefully, uh, I think that we are going to get uh, get a clip of something oh, and hopefully we'll, uh, tonight, and hopefully we will be able to, uh, to include that. Um, and if people want to sort of keep track of your progress on this or uh, keep track of you best way to do that would be to follow me on twitter and instagram that's mm-hmm. where i sort of update stuff that's okay. at jonah platt or uh you can check out my website jonahplatt.com if you join my mailing list okay. i always send out when there's a big next show i'm in or new gig or something important going on great that sounds that sounds awesome yeah. uh really looking forward to uh hearing uh hearing the show tonight thank you so much and uh thanks for joining us you got it all right thanks cj you can find out more about jonah at jonahplatt.com you can find all kinds of videos of him see current and upcoming projects and also follow his twitter feed from there i want to thank jonah and jeff and matt for talking to me and thank you for listening i hope you'll join me for future episodes of music cast you can also see new material by composers and writers like Jonah and Matt and Jeff at Musical. For information about upcoming shows and to find out how you can get tickets, please go to the website for the Foundation for New American Musicals at fnam.us. On the website, you can subscribe to our podcast. That would be awesome. You can also join our email list to find out about upcoming events and you can donate. Your generous contributions will go toward the Foundation's programs such as Pathway, which provides the nation's first high school curriculum in show writing. There's also Future Fest, which is an annual showcase of top high school and college performers singing songs from new musicals. They perform at Rockwell in L.A. and at 54 Below in New York. 
So in addition, there are some exciting new things coming up, so be sure to check out the website. I hope you'll support the Foundation for New American Musicals. And once again, thanks for listening.